0: America. My name is Amiose from I come to you live every Thursday about this time. I had some technical difficulties before. I think I worked out the sound. Thank you for staying with me if you have. But we're going to talk about a very important topic today and it's going to be trauma as oppression. And you have to understand, I was talking to a buddy about this and she was kind of just kind of just kind of breaking down her research for me. And I put some extra things together and look, we have to understand trauma as the most immediate form of oppression. And the problem with it being the most immediate form of oppression is that it could be treated outside of reason because reason deals with mediation. Reason deals with how all of the parts, what a thing is, breaking it down into parts and how the parts all function together to make it what it is. But if trauma is immediate, then you could deal with it without actually an analysis and dealing with it without actually through reason. And that's going to be a problem and that's how you get kind of a... um, A way of approaching trauma, um, PTSD, without actually addressing the ethics of soldiering, right? So, if we can address uh, the 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 expression of PTSD without actually addressing the ethics of soldiering, that's not actually addressing the trauma, but it is dealing with the immediacy of of the experience, right? So, um, it's it's a dangerous little tool and. And after the intro, I'm going to go into a little bit more detail about how this kind of emerged in the 80s with respect to Vietnam syndrome, lots of wars and lots of syndromes. So maybe like it turns out that wars break soldiers, but maybe it, the problem is soldiering and that there is some sort of dissociation that's promoted through military service, especially when you're just kicking open doors and shooting people, right? So um, maybe that's not the worst. Maybe it's perfectly healthy to be traumatized, but um, because you, even as the oppressor, are like suffering under oppression because it's just an unhealthy way of being, right? And insofar as we make you numb to that, numb to that oppression, that's, that, that's not going to be particularly good in any way. We don't want to be numb to oppression. <laughs> well, like, even the oppressor you feel as an oppressor, like kicking open doors, right? Um, with you know guns. So the idea is that trauma is the most immediate form of oppression but as immediate it is outside it can be conceived of as outside of reason and that's going to be a problem insofar as it will actually calcify oppression if we treat it as trauma if we treat the trauma, uh, trauma aspect of it the trauma form of it as primary and also when we treat the immediate, uh, the immediate experience of it, the trauma of it, as somehow emancipated from oppression, then uh, you're not actually treating the trauma because the trauma is still a form of oppression. It's just an immediate form of oppression, right? So how do I explain this? I can explain this using triangles. I, I teach logic and critical thinking. And so I have to always kind of come up with examples. There's things called concrete universals. And concrete universals are known Um, for generating their own specifications. For an example, a a triangle is a concrete universal. If you know what a triangle is, you know it's a figure with three sides, and each side has length, and lengths can be bigger, smaller, or equal to each other. So just knowing that, you know that to be a triangle, you're going to have three different kinds. You're going to have scalene triangles where all the sides are different lengths. You're going to have isosceles triangles where two of the sides are the same length, and you're going to have equilateral triangles where all of the sides are the same length. Just knowing what triangles are, it generates its own specifications. So if you know what a triangle is but you don't know the specifications or how they relate to each other or how they're going to be three and not five, then you really don't really know what triangles are. (laughs) Your knowledge of triangles is abstract because if you had any sort of concrete knowledge of the triangles, you would know that um, you would know it in its specification you would know all of its specifications you would be able to kind of conceive of its specifications and just by your knowledge of a triangle or if you know one of the specifications if you know scalene triangles but you don't know its relationship to equilateral and, and isosceles triangles you don't really know what scalene triangles are because part of what it is to know what a scalene triangle is is to know that okay it's one of three types of triangles that could be right um so that's going to be the person who's a trauma expert but doesn't really know anything about oppression. They're going to be the expert in scalenes, but not, but not know anything about triangles. <laughs> oh, I don't study triangles. I study scalenes. But aren't scalenes a form of triangles? Yeah, but I don't really study the form of triangles. I study scalenes. Um, but I don't really know anything about triangles. So you know about scalenes, but you don't know about triangles. Yes. Well, then maybe you don't really know about scalenes. And you can say, oh, well, you know. I know about scalene rectangles and scalene uh, trapezoids and scalene, you know, um, octagons, all of different lengths. And but you don't know anything about octagons or uh, pentagons or triangles. And they'll be like, "No, I just know scalenes." And I was like, "Well, then you have hazy knowledge of all of it." <laughs> and that's a person who has uh, knowledge of trauma but doesn't know anything about any of the various like specifications of oppression. Of um, and so that, why is that so popular? Well, it's popular because we want people to be functionally oppressed and oppressive um without suffering the immediate effects of it. Right? without suffering its immediate form. And with that, I will hit the beat. Me. If it was the president, then I was You leave it up to me, I the White the House, black and no future. Sound good to me. Tell change the ways for the world or the government. If it was the president, then I would take back. You leave it up to me. I paint the White House black and it can be true. Man, it finally looks like I got my sound game right. I can relax. This is take three. I tried to do this right before my kids get home. So the first take, I realized the sound was bad, and then uh, I could see. look at the clock, and my kids were about to get home. So I tried the second take, and then I heard the bus come up, and this is take number three. So the kids are upstairs. So I'm going to be speaking rather quickly because I love my kids, not uh, that I don't love you. I just love them more, and and so I I want to spend time with my kids. All right, so um, trauma is the most is the immediate expression of oppression. So if you just know trauma, but you don't know the expression, it turns out of uh, the oppression, then it turns out that you might not actually know what trauma is, and you might not actually know how to treat it because you're not treating it as a form of oppression. You're like it's like treating a uh, someone with a, uh, a broken leg by giving them lots of morphine. Oh <laughs> um, yeah, yeah. You're treating the most immediate. Expression of their broken leg, which is their pain, but not actually treating them as having a broken leg. Um, Pain management. Trauma is the pain of trauma, uh, trauma counseling is the pain management of of health, which means it's not really about health proper. Right. So we have to figure out like how this became so popular. Well, I was talking to a buddy and she was like, well, you know, you have to think about Vietnam syndrome when trauma really kind of emerged. There have always been wars, and wars have always broken people, and there are always syndromes, but trauma, um, we started talking about trauma, especially in the 70s and 80s, um, with respect to Vietnam, um, and it happened to coincide with sexual trauma, and uh, the way we started talking about trauma, and now that's a whole problem, because once again, if sexual trauma is a variety of oppression, then being able to talk about trauma without actually talking about the oppressive circumstances that lead to that kind of intimate partner violence um is actually gonna confuse what's going on with the sexual trauma. But you know, nobody ever gets in trouble for just like, you know, indulging the crap out of victims, right? So we indulge victims. And then we keep them functioning in whatever oppressive uh, systems they're uh, they're functioning in or not understanding. And now, to be an expert in trauma, you don't actually have to understand oppression. And that's going to be an enormous problem. And all of this ends up being (laughs) anti-black. All like, No matter what, none of this is ever good for black men. Because it's not like, um, as much as black people talk about, you know, black men need therapy. Yeah, we might need therapy, but we also need to end oppression. And so we need a more kind of muscular therapy that includes like, you know, money, land, and guns <laughs> um, than just like, you know, sitting on talking to some white lady on a couch. All right, So um, let's see, I like my therapy in the form of cash, a check, make it out of cash. Actually, if you care about my mental health, go ahead and go over to uh, www.funkyacademic.com and kick in or anxiety, like anxiety meds for a broken leg. Yeah, I'm very anxious about my broken leg and the anxiety medications will uh, help me uh, deal with my anxiety for my broken leg, but I have a broken leg, <laughs> right? So yeah, if you care about my mental health, go ahead and go over to www.funkyacademic.com and kick in five, fifteen, or $50 a month to help me kind of uh, create the quality of, of of news that one makes me down quite unemployable depending on who you talk to but also I think kind of clarifies your situation because that's what I want to do I want to clarify your situation and in this episode in particular I'm going to say a lot of things that are going to make people uncomfortable to hear so I might as well just get to those right so dealing with what what is what are the stakes of dealing with sexual trauma as trauma not a system of oppression Right? Well, the stakes are that we don't deal with the system of oppression. And a lot of the people who are traumatized and do the traumatizing um, are themselves oppressed or profit from the oppression. Right. So a lot of traumatized women, I'll say, a lot, not black women, a lot of traumatized white women profit from uh, the culture of sexual oppression and violence that will uh, realize itself in their trauma. So If we can deal with the trauma but not actually deal with the oppression, then white people keep the perks of whiteness without actually uh, dealing with, uh, you know, the better just relations. That's the same thing I was talking about or suggested when I was talking about how we can keep the, uh, we can deal with the trauma of of PTSD and war without actually dealing with the oppressive uh, ethics that might actually go into soldiering. Maybe soldiering is properly degrading. Maybe soldiering is not something that we should be doing uh, the way we do it. Maybe, uh, yeah, so maybe like it's a, like maybe that kind of trauma is the healthy response to what we expect soldiers to do. And you know, soldiers are disproportionately black, and they recruit out of the hood, and maybe that's like not particularly great for us. Um, so what, and, and I had a friend who was like, yeah, a lot of this came to the head in in the 80s with with trauma and and with sexual trauma and look if white women don't want to like actually deal with or think about oppression they just want their cushy gig back before they were traumatized uh, by you know whatever then this is a great little nugget because we get to deal with the trauma by abstracting it away from the oppression because the oppression might actually keep them fed and housed and actually pretty comfortable but uh, might erupt occasionally in trauma and so there's a way in which i'm going to get into trouble i'm going to back up one more time then i'm going to go right in and say what needs to be said in this video um uh we have to understand that oppression has a structure and a structure is all the parts that fit together and function in a way that make it what it is. And if you deal with, just deal with um, the most immediate form of oppression, that is trauma, you don't get the structure which makes the trauma outside of reason, right? So why would it be good to have, uh, to isolate trauma outside of its oppressive structure and not see it as a form of uh, the oppressive structure? Well it's not because you actually want to understand the trauma. Because in order to understand the trauma you need to understand it as the um, immediate expression of this oppression it's because you don't want to deal with the oppression you just want to anesthetize or somewhat deal with the effects of the of, of the oppression you don't want to actually deal with it so you don't want to actually understand the trauma because you don't want to understand it as a form of, of of oppression you just want to deal with the effects which will keep an often calcify the oppression so what does this have to do with sexual ethics well the discourse kind of picked up around trauma in the 80s late 70s and 80s because um, it kind of intersected with uh, you know the sexual violence um, and sexual trauma um, uh, kind of motif and you got a lot of white women who actually profit very much from like, their second tier status, because remember, they're second tier in a nation of 30 tiers. So being second tier isn't so bad. But the, the most immediate form of, it, of, the, of the trauma was bad. So like, they needed some place to talk about that without actually, without actually going into a deep dive into the actual structure of the trauma because they needed white racist assholes to do everything else that white racist assholes do except screw like assholes. They wanted them to screw like better people. Right? So like, we need white racist assholes to be assholes in the streets, but in the sheets, we need them to be better. And so in order to, uh, or I need to like numb myself to how they're bad in the sheets. Right? So there's a way in which um, the trauma response is actually a mode of calcifying oppression Um, rather than dealing with it, right? Because, you know, don't make no mistake, white people like the white people they create. And a lot of white mothers like their white sons who go on to rape their white wives, who then create white sons who then take care of their mothers and then rape their white white wives. And so like, it's a a pretty vicious circle. White sex is not particularly great. So what I have, I'll be more specific, settler colonial and I think just high class sex in general, High class sex in general isn't particularly great. Everyone would be surprised if it turns out that Donald Trump is a great lay. I, I I don't think Melania, you know, slept with him for his like thoughtfulness in bed. I suspect not, right? So what I'm saying is that there's a culture of oppression that that distributes perks but it also distributes trauma. So if you can figure out a way to anesthetize yourself to the trauma, but keep the perks, you're gonna do that. And that's what white women have done with the trauma discourse um, in America. And now we're kind of spread trauma all around. Like black people, we have trauma and we need therapists, sure. And everyone says, you know, black men don't go to therapy. And yeah, I, that might be true. But like I said before, I like my therapy in the form of cash and land and black people might need it in the form of guns so what does, does this mean that people who experience trauma and that just because they also experience some of the perks of oppression uh, deserve their trauma not necessarily but let me go back a little bit and talk about concrete universals again so a concrete universal is a universal that generates its own specifications that means like a triangle you can generate just by knowing what a triangle is you know that it's going to come in three kinds you don't know the concrete individuality of where each kind is going to come up in the world. But you'll be able to like apprehend it and see it when you see it. Oh, you'll be like, oh, that's a scalene. Oh, that's an isosceles. But just knowing what an isosceles or what a scalene does, triangle is doesn't mean that you'll know that you'll run into one tomorrow. Right? It doesn't mean that. There are empirical, empirical um, issues at play. but when you do run into one you'll be able to understand that this is what it what's going on right so that's a very important limit of concrete universals they don't actually get down to time and place and like empirical characteristics of all of their existences but with a necessity they'll give you the concept and and the specification of what you're looking for right so when i say that it might be the case that in an oppressive system trauma emerges We don't know, it's not the case that the traumatized necessarily might deserve their trauma um, as individuals, but like we who uphold the oppression kind of deserve it, right? And there's a great, um, there there the two things I'm gonna talk about, Uh, Disgrace by Kowitze, James Kowitze, it's a great little book if you've read it. Tom Malkovich made a movie you know, I read the book before and the book's so good, like, like I don't know if it all gets through the movie, uh, to the movie, but, um, but I saw, I read the book, it's a great little book, and um, the, the movie like seemed pretty good to me. And also there's a mini-series called The Honorable Woman. So in the miniseries, there is this um, Israeli uh, weapons dealer, big Israeli weapons dealer, makes bombs, and then bombs for bombs, and more big bombs, arms dealer, arms manufacturer, bombed a ton of Palestinians. Right, and so 25 years ago, the Israeli um, uh, arms dealer was murdered, and and then like, you know, a few years ago, before the series is set, it's called The Honorable Woman. Um, uh, the the daughter of the Israeli um, uh, arms dealer was kidnapped, and she was sexually assaulted while she was um, in prison, and then she was released a little bit later, and she's an heiress now. She's like, a because when you sell, it turns out, if you're really good at, at, at being an arms dealer, you can make a lot of money, right? So she's an heiress, and she was kidnapped, assaulted, and then released, and the kind of, the miniseries takes place around that. It's fictional, but it's very good. And at the end of the miniseries, I'm going to ruin it if you haven't seen it, but like, you know, whatever. At the end of the miniseries, she comes face to face with, like, the person who masterminded her kidnapping and assault, and he asked her, do you know why you did it? And the guy's Palestinian and like has like multiple people killed by her father's bombs. And she looks him in the face and she says, yeah, I deserved it. Now, that was a very powerful moment, because it's not often you see like white women on television say that they deserve their sexual assault. But it's not because of any, and it's not because of anything she did, but there's a way in which the resentment of having her father arm and like supply munitions and make absurd amount of money and she 's now an heiress for killing this guy's um all of his family the, the the like you know the shrapnel and all that was found in their family um. There was a way in which she individually didn't deserve it, but like her class deserved something. Right? And unless you see that, and it just happened to be that, like as a concrete individuality, she paid the price. And like I got in a lot of trouble because I was like, well, after 9 11, I was like, nobody in the Twin Towers deserved to die that day. But did we deserve to be attacked? We as the United States deserve to be attacked? I think that might be a complicated issue. I think that like we have to talk about moral deserve. Nobody individually deserved, but did we deserve? And they just like got unlucky by being an unlucky part of us? Well, that might be a question we have to ask ourselves in a more robust way. Because the answer is not going to be the answer is not going to be obvious or or clear. Um, did we deserve it? I don't know. Maybe. Did the people who happened to um, pay the price deserve it? No, uh, as individuals, like not more than any of the other Americans. Um, so, that was interesting. A part of the honorable woman, she, like the the billionaire heiress who was kidnapped, like looks her captor in the face and she's like straight up says at the very end, probably the penultimate moment, the most important part. Yeah, because I I I deserved it, and that was that was very, because not because. anything she did she's just a weapons dealer heiress but you know justice is intergenerational and we got to think about that what that means all right so the other thing about disgrace now disgrace is a book where um uh it's about a south african professor who is just like you know gross white guy he's a south african professor he sleeps with a student um uh you know half black student and uh you know she consents but what does that mean when he's your professor and he's this white guy and you're a black south african consent's kind of like uh, the least important part of that relationship and then he gets b- disbanded from the university in a big hullabaloo and he moves out to his daughter who lives out in the country in rural south africa so, his daughter's in rural South Africa. You know, her and a bunch of uh, white people from the city had bought a bunch of land. All the other white people had left. So now it's just her in this um, kind of big farm plantation type thing in, in South Africa. He goes to live with her uh, on the farm. And it turns out that it's possible that their black neighbor slash person who kind of works for them in the village might have orchestrated. Um, uh, a kind of home invasion where like some stuff was stolen, broken, and the girl was sexually assaulted. And the, the white daughter was sexually assaulted while the white uh, professor, the father, was living with her and like he was just kind of regularly assaulted. And so what happens? So what happens is Uh, The girl kind of figures out that it's possible that the neighbor orchestrated it and the dad kind of figures out that the neighbor orchestrated it, but they see the neighbor every day and the neighbor kind of works for them as like a handyman type guy. And um, it's just kind of a deeper, and the dad wants to like go to the cops and turn the neighbor in, and the daughter's like, no, it's settled now. Because like the neighbor lets it know that like now this is dead, we're even. Um, And so it's kind of a deeper story about colonialism. Because there's a way in which the daughter kind of understood, in a way, she deserved it. And what does it mean? Like, what does that mean? Like, in a way, it's if the trauma is figured into the oppression of colonial South Africa, um, and like, she was unlucky, it came out this way, it was expressed in this way, but it actually. Somehow addressed the oppressor, the the, the the oppression, and now like it was known that the, the issue is settled. Now the handyman neighbor keeps working for them, and everything is going to be okay now. Everything is okay, but like it came at a price, right? But, so the idea is that colonialism comes at a price, oppression comes at a price, and sometimes this price is comes in the form of sexual violence. So. What do we do about that? And I have another story about that, because this week, um, this week at UGA, I was minding my own business, and let me get the art up here for you. Uh, I was minding my own business, and I got an alert. On I wanna say Saturday morning, I got the alert, and the alert said that There had been a mugging and uh, a sexual assault uh, on a parking lot at two thirty in the morning next to campus, and uh, you know I I, I read because I I don't like those things, and so I if you don't know anything about Athens Georgia Athens Georgia is about third black the poverty is racialized it's one of the poorest counties it's one of the most poorest it's one of the poorest college towns in the entire nation, the poverty is racialized, um, you know. The black descendants of slaves here are not doing that much better than their grandparents. A lot of them are doing worse because their grandparents actually owned houses except um, where the university wanted a bunch of land um, in the in the university wanted a bunch of land in the 50s and 60s with urban renewal so it kicked a lot of those black people out of their houses and um, So, the black people who have grandparents who owned houses now grew up themselves in public housing because, like, you know, their grandparents were kicked out of the house. And now they're getting kicked out of public housing and they're just kind of being cast off in the South like the walking dead. Um, And that's, that's a problem. So, I saw a, I got the picture up. So, I saw the bulletin in my email. And so I did some searching and then they came out with, the next day, they came out with a picture of the dude who did it, and uh, and this is the dude who did it. He's a 24 year old guy, and he they came out with a picture of him. And you know, I, I've been in Athens for a few years now, and I'll tell you, by the time this is you, you're 24 years old, and and you're running around like at 2:30 in the morning, taking like random ladies, random UGA students' cell phones. Cause that's what, like, what we know is that he stole her cell phone, um, they're also charging him with groping and, and like sexual assault, but I've, I'm one of these guys who've been in and around enough police reports to not actually know, like I, don't, I, I know police reports are fiction, so I don't know what happened. Um, maybe it was about that, maybe it was just about like I reached into her pocket to get her cell phone to figure out if she had any money. <laughs> um, but like this is the dude and of course because this is the dude they found him like days later and now his life is pretty much he's it's thrown away like by the time if you're if you're caught like um if you're caught uh assaulting and sexually assaulting and robbing a uga student and you're just a 24 year old random black dude like you're done like like i don't know if i see you if you ever see the light of day again or, or what that means, because you know you don't know who her father is, All right? So two thirty in the morning, this guy steals and uh, and and attacks um, a woman in a parking lot. So you know this is the the white UGA media's um, fantasy and the white liberal's nightmare. And me, I just look at it and I think, you know, we create thousands of these guys in Athens. Like by the time this is you, your life has you have been betrayed, defrauded, and degraded by so many public institutions that other white people have actually profit off of, profit off of profited off of. Like your white teacher still got her checks for not teaching you how to read. Like your white probation officer. Like so many white institutions have made money off of this guy, off this guy's existence. Um. And, and now his life is done. And, you know, there's going to be a white judge who makes money off of him and, a, and like, a white ADA who makes an uh, assistant district attorney who's going to make money and a white, uh, uh, I'm sh- yeah. So, like, white people are not done profiting from this guy's degradation. And so we want to, it's tempting to make the story all about the, the lady victim he victimized, which he did do. Well, allegedly. I think he, I don't know what he did sexually. I just know that, like, they say groping, but they also say he stole her phone and all of this stuff. Um, what I do know is that that guy is pretty much disposable in society. He's only relevant because he made someone who else who matters, who actually matters, really, really uncomfortable. He traumatized somebody else, because like his trauma, his immediate and, like systemic oppression, nobody really cared about. <laughs> or it wouldn't have gotten this far. There are a myriad of interventions that go into place before this guy's walking around at 2.30 in the morning uh, um, uh, trying to get, like, stealing cell phones and and, and, and knocking out, you know, drunk college students. Right? So you're not going to get this in... You're not going to get this in any other uh, news media, which is why you need to go and support www.funkyacademic.com, because nobody's going to look at that story and say, like, if that's the villain, then we need to talk about, because like, so many other things have gone wrong in that guy's life. So many other things have gone wrong in that guy's life. It's like Poverty rate's out of control in Athens, um, and it's racialized. And like, that guy just looks like everybody else I know who's black in this town, and I know a lot of them who've just been like just degraded for their entire life. And so it's not like the individual girl had it coming, the individual college student had it coming, but we had it coming as a society that upholds that guy's oppression. Um, and she just had to pay the price for the price he has been paling, uh, his for the price he has been paying for his whole life. And so we're going to deal with her trauma. And the story about this, when it, get, when it gets in the media, is going to be about her trauma. Um, and we're not going to deal with like, the system of oppression that found its most immediate expression in her trauma. But it assumes that like, he liked doing what he was doing, or that his, that same system didn't like, create, and mold, and form him. So we have to talk about that. In a way that I think is important. Um, so, thank you for your time. And go ahead and go to uh, www.funkyacademic.com. Kick in five, fifteen, or fifty dollars a month for me to keep doing what I'm doing because this is important. So, recap: trauma is the most immediate form of oppression. As the most immediate form of oppression, you have to watch out because it, that puts it outside of reason because reason deals with mediating factors and how all of those factors um, work together to make a thing what it is. So if we find a way to isolate trauma from the oppression, we can actually find a way to calcify the oppression while treating the trauma. That's why you get the discourse out of um, Vietnam with, uh, uh, you know, dealing with Vietnam syndrome or PTSD while not dealing with the ethics of soldiering. We've now put that trauma model all over like our public discourse. And in the 80s, it really found a home in sexual discourse. So now we deal with a way of dealing with sexual discourse, sexual assault as sexual trauma, but not but not as like the expression of a variety of oppression. And that is kind of a big problem um yeah so the young criminal wasn't wanted by his oh yeah so so we have to we have to understand that what the traumatizers and the traumatized victims are actually part of the same system and unless you're serious about the system and um you just take a one-sided notion of the trauma victims in a way that actually calcifies the system And so we'll be telling this story forever, except the perpetrators are going to be bigger and blacker. And this doesn't mean that the individual victim deserved it in her concrete individuality, but it means that we deserve it. And she just got unlucky. And she paid the price for what we all uphold. All right. Thank you for your time. And I will see you next week to talk about something else.